in the 21st century Hardworking people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean is with Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida, and this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and will provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Well, Sean, we had some action yesterday that uh, really hit some highs, all-time highs, well, not all-time highs, but some in in not so short memory. Uh, uh, highs in, in soybeans. We started looking at we banged on the twelve dollar the twelve dollar bean um, sector. They rolled back a little bit to uh, about eleven ninety one or ninety two or something like that's what they closed at. You know, corn is still um, hovering around that four twenty five to four thirty range, depending on what contract you're looking at. And um, cattle and hogs all had a good day. So I guess as you take a look at what's going on in the market, there seems to be um, the weather market in Brazil and what we see happen here in the U.S. even with the La Nina stuff is uh, is really starting to lend some uh, credence to what you've been talking about here over the last uh, couple of years. Or certainly, you know, seeing uh, that begin to develop. And as you know, Casey, we've been t- this. We think this kind of a overall drier weather pattern is going to be with us all the way into next summer. Um, so you know, this is just going to be an ongoing theme. I would have to say, though, that, you know, overnight we've seen some big reversals. Yeah, definitely. And we talked about this last week, that right now there's a, there's a, enough what I call timely rain, like nothing that's changing the drought, nothing that's making it, you know, it, but enough timely rains that I don't see a clear present danger. Um, and, and we really won't, we don't really ever get to clear present danger until mid-December. And I think this could... I think what's happened here, Casey, has been a lot of panic in the market. Uh, the, you know, there's been a lot of stockpiling by the Chinese, stockpiling by other people, overbuying, and um, I just think that as we move in, you know, to this period where it doesn't look like we're going to have, you know, Chinese demand is actually starting to ebb a little bit, and uh, so I think it's a period. You know, twelve dollars soybeans is a really, really tough resistance area from like three or four years ago. We're going to need to get into what I'd call irreversible damage to South American soybean crop before we can break through that. And we tested it yesterday. The market almost wanted to print 12. You almost could feel it. It wanted to print 12. It did, and now we're reversing violently. Um, I think we're prepared to correction. I think we're going to probably, you know, corn got into that, if you look at the March contract, got into that upper 430s, almost, you know, that 450 is a huge resistance area. So I think we can correct here um, into the first half of December. Um, and then I do think fireworks can start up again, but I would think, you know, this would be a period that the market probably sets back buyers say, we bought enough for now. Let's just wait and see if we get into mid-December and we're really in trouble or not. So, you know, I would say that, you know, once again, if you're a farmer and you've been holding out a little bit or, you know, trying to see how far it's going to go, you know, I get some cash grain sold, especially in those bushels that you can't sell, uh, can't store. Just make sure you're tight up and make sure you got it done because, you know, this is a these price levels, as you said, we don't we haven't seen a lot of these price levels over the last eight years. And just want to make sure you, you get enough done 
you can keep your business funded right now. So, so the, but there'll be a, you know, a good opportunity to buy. We think, you know, in the first half of December, we're really looking for our livestock producers to gain coverage when this correction looks like it might be uh, uh, completing here, maybe by mid-December. So that's what's in our head right now um, in terms of the grain markets. Yep. So let's, when you think about what's going on with, um, with sugar right now, something we don't talk about very much, but it's definitely something I want to talk about just because of where we're at in, in my neck of the woods here with, with sugar beet harvest the way it is. So this time last year, I don't think about a third of the, of the crop got, of the sugar beet crop got, I actually got harvested and, um, there was just an, an epic amount of, of just crop failure to freeze across the entire sugar beet I don't know, belt, I guess, you know, everywhere that, that grow sugar, grew sugar beets had an incredible uh, issue doing that. We had to, and then on top of that, the world sugar supply with all the stuff that was going on with the desert locusts and either drought or and then on top of that, even in some places, uh, too much water. We had a, a world supply of sugar that was shrinking, and now we start looking at that sugar market and starting to make some moves. What's your thoughts on sugar, and, and where do you see it headed? Well, I mean, prices have rallied about 55% off of the panic uh, uh, virus lows. Um, and as you said, it was a result of last year's poor crops, uh, some increased, uh, obviously, demand that came in. Um, but um, remember that because energy prices have been so low that Brazil's been converting far more sugar cane over to refined sugar than ethanol. This, and in fact, their actual sugar production is up a lot from last year. Uh, India actually had a very good crop because because a, a La Nina tends to mean good moisture for India. And, uh, and, and sugar lucked out that the desert locusts kind of missed some of the key areas there. And, but, but the, the, the Indians have been playing games with their, Export uh, tariffs, um, and so a lot of sugar that should be entering the market, it's been held back because of all this uncertainty, but it does look like India is going to get that cleared up. So there could be quite a surge of Indian exports onto the market here over the next, next 30 days. So we're thinking sugars probably could come under some pressure for those two, you know, for that reason alone, because there's a lot of sugar that they, they have to sell. I mean, Indian farmers have to sell it to survive. So I would say for now, you know, this 16 cent resistance is like the 450 corn, like the $12 soybeans. It's going to be awfully, awfully hard to get through 16 without getting clear and present danger in South American weather, which remember in Sao Paulo, where they grow almost all the sugar for Brazil, very, very dry, but they're getting some timely rains. That's taking a little bit of the pressure off of that concern. So I still think sugar is kind of, probably in the same kind of a pattern as the grains topping out reversed lower. Um, you know, we could, you know, we could set back here a little bit before, uh, you know, before we dare heels it. And then, and then, and then we have another surge because I do believe Brazil weather and South America weather overall is going to reach a, and we're going to have a weather market or like a legitimate weather market, but we're not quite there yet. And sugar is going to be caught in this yin yang, just like the, um, just like the grain markets. Remember, if crude oil can break out, you know, above this 43, 44 area that's trying to break out now, and we get into the 50s, then you start getting the, well, they're going to start moving some more sugarcane over to ethanol, and then the sugar production comes down just as they're having a poor crop next year. So you could see how 
we could get into a real supply problem in Brazil as you move into 2021. So there's a there's reasons to believe there's higher prices later, but I just think for now, uh, probably going to have an oversupply for, for a little while from that Indian situation. So, Okay, so now that was my next topic that you brought up here was, was oil. Oil has been, West Texas oil has been bouncing around um, 42 to 43 range. Um, can't seem to really get much going on the other side of that. With it seems like everything else is kind of rallying around this vaccine news. We see it. We see quite a bit of vaccine news that comes up. Um, yesterday, a lot of the a lot of the uh, um, markets were really contributing the fact that they're the, the, these these uh, COVID nineteen vaccines are getting closer and closer to to really being something that's going to come true. Now we've got three different um, companies out there that have that have put a vaccine up. Now that we're looking at. Um, what we see happening in the livestock market, the crude market's doing the same way. Uh, is is kind of starting to see some some rallies there of a of a little kind of a bit, but they just can't get past that that forty four mark. So, what are your thoughts with with this different COVID vaccines that are out there and how that's going to relate to oil? And is that going to open up the marketplace up a little bit to have more folks out driving around and traveling? I think with more confidence as this as this COVID vaccine starts to uh, hit the marketplace. Well, I think buyers are saying, you know, look, you know, we, we, you know, we've been kind of, you know, kind of buying gingerly here because we weren't sure what was going to happen. But if let's just say, if, if we think from springtime onward, we're going to be vaccinating everybody or everybody who wants to be vaccinated or the highest risk part of the population and the economy is going to get wide open and we're going to go back to driving around, flying around, going to movies and theaters and all those kind of things. And, then everybody, you know, I think buyers want to say, you know, maybe we should get some extra coverage here. Maybe we should just hedge our hedge our bets a little bit. Maybe, you know, maybe while things are still not too expensive, we need to get some more bought. And that's kind of put a push into things like uh, livestock and, uh, you know, the crude oil market, you know, kind of on the upper end of the trading range here. The cotton market have a little bit of a surge. But um, so 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 that kind of preemptive buying is coming in. But remember, the, the demand is not going to be there today. Or next week, or next month. I mean, when, at the most, the best case scenario is that by spring, people will start feeling like they can go out again. You know, uh, I know some people are going out now; and they don't care. But I'm saying for the, you know, for all the country as a whole, it looks to me like spring could be where everyone gets comfortable going out again. And so, uh, how much, how much preemptive buying can you put into the current market? And um, and what if there's a disappointment? You know, what if, um, you know, there's a delay in getting it out or there's some side effects that come out when these results actually come out in its entirety? You know, there, it's still a lot of uncertainty around that, Casey. So I would, I'd be a little cautious uh, that some of this buying is a little too preemptive, in my opinion. Um, but at the same time, so long as those vaccines are out there, it does give people light in the tunnel that this period of low demand is going to, uh, it's going to get better. And in the case for crude oil, U.S. production is falling, 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 falling. You know, and so whenever we get demand going again, I mean, that could really be a wild cannon. You, know, you could put 50% on that market very, very quickly if we actually get our economy going again and get back to normal demand for gasoline. You can see a, a, a $40 market go to $60 pretty fast. And yeah. then everything changes because ethanol's back, corn demand for ethanol's back. Sugar demand for ethanol is back. You know, all of a sudden, the whole, the whole game changes and everything, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
petroleum-based car, uh, uh, fiber that competes for cotton, you know, becomes too expensive. You know, everything, all the dynamics start to change. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's, that we haven't had that environment with crude oil being hot, you know, in that 60 range for a long time. So I don't think that happens today. I think it's way too early for them to expect that. But that's what I think we're set up for sometime as we move into the spring is a $40 mark of crude oil going to 60 and then all these bullish levers get, get turned. Um, and then it, 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 at a time when we have escalating weather problems in South America and crude oil is going up, you could see it's a one-two punch. It could create the next big surge in these active markets. So I think, you know, buyers, you know, people who are on the buy side of these markets, they have to buy cash, the end users, you know, they definitely are right to gain coverage and they should continue to protect upside price risks as we move into the spring so long as it looks like that's the timeline for, for these vaccines to really kick in and make people much more comfortable. Yep. All right. So one other thing that I've been watching a little bit and paying some attention to since uh, you talked about it one time, I don't know, maybe two months ago, and it was right around the time that there was some in the lumber market when the uh, – you know, we were having some supply issues, supply chain issues with, with COVID and getting stuff shipped around and getting stuff moved around and those kind of things. And then we had that uh, derecho hit in Iowa, and the price of lumber just went through the roof, right? Well, ever since then, the price of lumber has just been, I mean, it's just been almost like, I use the word free fall here in, in, some, in some instances. So I guess, so I'm looking at a chart now of lumber contracts that are out there now, and most of these are, are like, or limit down, I mean, like, you know, off 25 cent or 25, um, 32, 28 and a half, 11, 7. I mean, and it just seems like that's been a pretty consistent move week over week uh, as you look at the lumber market, which is kind of important to me because I'm starting to remodel a house. So lumber is a, it's kind of a top of, <coughs> top of mind now. So I guess as you look at the lumber market, what do you see happening there? Remember, the, re- the reason for the big run up was that all these lumber mills shut down. Right. Uh, uh, of people being getting infected, first mm-hmm. of all, Secondly, because we had this crash in demand. Right. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, everybody left the cities and bid up the, the, the real estate in the rural areas. And then the home builders said, oh my gosh, we better get building again because there's a huge demand for non-city property, but the, all the mills were closed. Right. <laughs> Right. And then we had this wild run to 800 or whatever it was. I mean, all-time record high price. Uh, but, you know, a lumber mill, you know, you start going, hey, Charlie, hey, John, just come on in. Let's go. I mean, you know, you got to call everybody. We got to set the schedule and it's a production line. You know, I mean, it, it it takes three months to get that going. And so in that three months, we had this wild. The average lumber cost for a home went up forty to $80,000 per home. Yeah. On that run-up in lumber prices, so, so so someone who thought that we're paying, let's say, five hundred thousand, really had to pay five sixty or five eighty because of the lumber price. I mean, it got out of hand, and then we had the crash, just complete crash, when the lumber mills opened up, the lumber started kicking in, and all the buyers said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you know, cancel these orders. We don't we don't want eight hundred dollars lumber anymore." Um, and, th- and 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 so that was that part of it. And now what's happening is, I think, if we're going to go to a vaccine world where everyone's comfortable. The cities are going to start to revive a little bit. It doesn't mean people are going to run in and, like I said, lick the handrails and all that right. stuff. But, yeah. uh, 
that the panic buying of non-city real estate is going to calm down, which means all the building in those areas, you're going to have an oversupply. And now as the prices start to fall, there's a that bubble kind of deflates a little bit. Then all the home builders say, uh-oh, we have too much inventory. We have a very high price inventory. Stop, stop the building. And then, so, so, so lumber is kind of, it's going to struggle here, Casey, I think. We're moving into winter time, which is typically, obviously, a time where you don't build a lot of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, lumber is, is not a market that's going to be uh, very favorable. Now, it, you know, as we move into the spring, if they get the inventories down and things get, you know, normalized, you know, there could be, you know, an opportunity for lumber in the springtime. But for right now, we think downside price risks are uh, pretty high. And if I was in the lumber mill business selling lumber, I'd sure get some cash lumber on the books for, you know, out into the springtime to make sure I got some of these prices because they still work for them, Casey. This is still not a bad price for them. Uh, but very quickly, you know, it, they could be they could be underwater again and, and they don't want to be in a situation like they were in the spring where they just had no hope of making any money, you know. Yeah. I was hoping you'd tell me it's going to go back down to buy one, get one free on the two-by-fours so I could so I could remodel my house. <laughs> well... <laughs> Lumber, lumber, lumber. If you, if you look at a long-term trade lumber, it's a fast, uh, volatile market, and it overshoots big time in both directions. By the way, so it wouldn't surprise me. We may we may get that you know buy one get one free uh, you know in the first or second quarter before it bottoms. Be on the lookout for. I'll let you know if that if that if that coupon. I get emailed that coupon. That'd be so. great. Send it my way. So I'm gonna need it. I'm gonna need it. All right. Good deal. One other thing that we don't talk about much here, but. It's some of the some of the metals that we see happening, and and gold has been. I don't, I don't know the best way to put it. I mean, gold is all over the board, and it reacts to a, a lot of different things. Gold's come down quite a bit from its high where it hit about two thousand um, earlier this year. Right now, gold is trading around um, eighteen ten an ounce. Um, we've seen some some very high swings up and very high swings down and it really just depends on what kind of information you hear out of the fed the ideas of inflation seem to be kind of the hedge you know gold's a hedge against inflation so when you uh it seems like there's not much of the inflation threat that that people thought there would be which i'm kind of uh I don't know, with all the money that we've been printed and those kind of things, and, and they're going to print more and what that looks like, sooner or later the inflation bubble is going to have to have to pop. So I guess as you look at gold, what are your thoughts there? Mining stocks still seem to be, you know, having a good um, a good return, but just gold itself seems to be struggling to, to maintain that, that 1800 range. Hey, you know, so. I'm, I'm an ag specialist, but, and I'm not a metal specialist. But from what I understand about gold, um, I think the big run-up last year was with the idea that, that so long as the virus was raging and that we, you know, and we were going not going to be able to really open up our economy the way we wanted, that we have to keep printing money and we have to keep spending money fiscally to keep the economy going until such time that the vaccines kicked in or we found enough drugs to solve the problem, that sort of thing. And so it ran up on that. But now if, if these vaccines are going to come in and do the job they're, set, they're said they're going to be able to do, which is vaccinate those that want to be and those that are at highest risk and, and the economy opens up wide, do we, do we need to print as much money 
Do we need to spend as much money fiscally as we did before if the economy can open up and we get this huge boom in economic activity? Probably not. Doesn't mean we won't print. Doesn't mean we won't fiscally spend, but it means we probably don't have to spend as much or print as much. And the gold market is always trying to look six months ahead. And it maybe is starting to say, oh, shoot, this is going to happen. So we were betting on, I don't know, another $7 trillion of fiscal spending. I'm just throwing out numbers. Another $7 trillion money printing. Maybe it's only going to be half of that. And if that's the case, then gold's really not the place to be if they're going to be pulling back on liquidity. You really want to be in those economically sensitive markets like cattle, like cotton, like crude oil, like copper, you know, those kind of markets versus gold, which really the industrial demand for gold is minimal. It's all, it's really an investment metal where people hold it as a hedge against inflation and uncertainty, really. So, so I think that's why gold's been struggling and it probably will continue to struggle so long as there's good news on the vaccine front, Casey. Yeah. So So one other thing that, that you track a lot and, and you brought this to my attention and, Shame on me for not not paying attention more of it, but uh, Tight International they make uh, they make ag tires, and you brought this up to me several times, and I've been watching it go. And lo and behold, you're right. The uh, the manufacturer of ag tires when when their when their stock price starts to go up, the ag price commodity price tends to follow, and then vice versa when it starts to go down, so does the uh, so does the price of commodities, and that is a uh, it's on a bit of a tear here. So what's your, it seems like the long-term aspects here, like you've talked about for the last couple of years, that when we get to this 2021, 20, late 2020 range, we're going to start seeing this, this takeoff in commodity prices and, and your, 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 your prediction is coming true. It is. I mean, we've had a major leg up in ag. The first major ag up in, uh, up in lag we've had in a long time. And that stock, you know, I'm not here saying what you buy it or sell it or anything. It's just we've followed that stock. We've been following that stock since it came public in the mid-90s. And it's probably the best uh, predictor of the ag cycle we know of in terms of it just, it tops at the top of the cycle, it bombs at the bottom of the cycle, and it has big swings. I mean, that stock goes from $1 to 30 or 40 back to 1 back to 30 or 40 back to 1 You know, it was at the, at the lows in the spring, it was one and a quarter or $1 or something, and, mm-hmm. and now it's over 5 Right. So, yeah, I mean, that market is, has a great, great ability to read the ag cycle. And clearly, in our opinion, we've we, we bought into the ag cycle. It's turning up. And this is not a six-month phenomenon. You know, this is a multi-year, five, ten-year phenomenon. So once this cycle turns, I mean, this is not like, oh, you know, it's – no, I mean, we've had – this is a major turn in the ag cycle. This is a major turn in the equipment cycle, major turn. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that stock reacting the way that it is, Casey – um, is a is a very good uh, corroborator, you know, of of what we've been talking about: the ag cycle turning, ag prices turning, fortunes for farmers turning. You see that stock verify that is a, is another one of these signposts we look for to align that we're on the right track with what we're seeing, um, and that stock is definitely giving us serious serious signals that the ag cycle has turned up. Um, and so, yeah, that 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 was something we were looking to to see, to verify with what our, if our prediction of an ag bull market cycle beginning in late 2020 was going to be true. And so far, it looks like we're on the right track. So, Well, good deal, man. It, it means, and of course, that's very good for you, Casey. It's very great for me. You. I dig it. I, I like 
um, things are things are plugging along great. Well, looks like we're going to have. I'm very interested to see what happens this year. Um, you know, we've talked about it here several times. Just my interest in in, in what how things are going to progress through the end of the year. We're starting to see a bit of a pickup. We're kind of in that post harvest lull. Um, I, I think most guys are are going to be done right around Thanksgiving. And I kind of give it a plus or minus five days type of thing. But as we head into December. You know, all producers are going to have a great opportunity to sit down with with tax advisors and accountants and bankers and those kind of things to really start looking at what they've you know what twenty twenty looked like and where they're at. And there's some profitability out there this year, so there's going to be some year in tax buying, and, and it's not going to be as rushed um, as it's been in the past. So I'm really looking forward to see how December ends up. I'm 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 quite uh, optimistic about how December is going to look. And um, you know, going into the first of the year. Yeah, I, I think the prospects look good, and I mean, what usually happens at the beginning of the cycle is all of a sudden, very, very quickly, you get into a serious shortage of equipment, used equipment, and new equipment, because you know the capacity has been ratcheted down after eight years of nothing. You know, then you get this oh, this huge demand surge, and and then it takes time to fill it. So it's it's a good place. You're in a good you know ag equipment, used equipment, new equipment is in a good place to be right now, and so. Yeah, I think December could be a really uh, interesting month, but a, but a very good month that leads into a very good 2021, the way we see it. So. Yep, absolutely. Well, good stuff, Sean. If uh, folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what Hackett Financial can do for them, what's the best way to do that? Best thing to do is just go to our website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. They can download sample reports, watch interviews that we've done with you and others to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where you can find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast and the Moving Iron blogs as they come out. Check out my website, movingironllc.com, for the latest information about the Moving Iron Summit, January 20th through the 22nd at the Renaissance Hotel in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Sean will be there. He's going to give a a great speech about uh, what's going on in, in uh, uh, as far as uh, he sees happening with uh, some weather cycles that are coming up, and to be honest with you, folks, the stuff he talks about, it's all it's all been spot on. So definitely check him out. Um, you, you know, Google Sean real quick and just see what you come up with because he's got some great information out there. Global Ag Network is a great place to find other ag related podcasts. And with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go be smart, folks. Out. In the 21st century